I'm poking my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for the drive to work. Okay. So today, I'm going to talk about two people that are the most responsible about magic getting created. Uh, so I'm talking, of course, about Richard Garfield, the creator of magic, and Peter Atkinson, who founded, uh, or one of the people that founded Wizards of the Coast. So uh, the reason I bring this up is uh, last week, um, so there are a bunch of Grand Prix going on this summer that we are calling birthday Grand Prix because we are celebrating the 25th uh, anniversary of magic. And because uh, the three of us cannot go to all the Grand Prix, we recorded a video. Um, in fact, we recorded a video with us together and us individually. Uh, I'm, I'm going to talk about the making of the video as well. Um, but first, I want to do a little prep to talk a little bit about Peter and Richard. Um, but I, I, was in, I was inspired because, uh, because of the chance. I've, I've seen Richard recently, obviously. He worked on Dominari. But Peter and I haven't seen each other in, I don't know, 10 plus years. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about, about sort of Richard and Peter. And then we'll talk about um, seeing them again. And... Okay, so um, back in 19, I think it was 91... Um, Peter Atkinson, so Peter was working at uh, Boeing, and but Peter was a gamer, loved gaming, in particular, really, really loved role-playing games, um, and so Peter, Peter had a dream. Peter wanted to start a game, co- a game company, um, so along with four other people, they started Wizards of the Coast. So when Wizards of the Coast started, it was a little teeny tiny game company, now um, I'm going to. I'm mostly hitting on Peter and on Richard today. So if you want to know more about Wizards of the Coast, I did a whole podcast on Wizards of the Coast. Um, so you can go listen to that. But anyway, um, so Peter founded the company at the time. Peter was still working at Boeing. Uh, it was. A, it was kind of. I mean, originally the company was more almost a hobby, something they did on their own, and they. Uh, Peter's dream, I think, was is to make supplements for role-playing games because he really loved role-playing games. Um, and so the big first thing they did um, was they made... Uh, what was it called? Um, it was like a planar guide. What they did is they made something that the whole idea was that you could apply it to any video game. Um, what was it called? There's actually a magic card that's named after the product. It was called planar... Um, a green enchantment from early magic. Uh, maybe it'll come to me. Um, but anyway, Peter's early designs really were to make this company that did role-playing games and mostly did kind of supplemental role-playing stuff. So, I mean, the goal wasn't necess- <coughs> necessarily for it to become <coughs> as big as it did. Um, I, I mean, I think the idea was that it was something in which they would make games. Um, but really early on, uh, it was more about role-playing games. And then, obviously, uh, Richard Garfield, uh, Richard Garfield and Mike Davis come to pitch um, Peter RoboRally. For those who don't know, RoboRally is a game that uh, Wizards put up many years ago about uh, your robots racing uh, on a factory floor. And the shtick of it is that you have to program their moves ahead of time. So then if something goes wrong... You know, it sort of doesn't quite go what you mean for it to do. And the, the, the robots have lasers, which can hit each other. And on the factory floor, there's different things that can go on. And you can, all sorts of craziness can happen. Um, and the fact that they came to pitch to, to Peter 
meant that they were they were literally looking at anybody of any game company because at the time Wizard of the Coast was a teeny tiny game company. Um, and what happened was when they pitched this idea, Peter's response to them was, "Oh, this is a great game. This looks like really fun, but I can't make this. The the components like he was a little tiny game company and just." You know, Robo Rally had a board and had pieces and had a box and just had a lot of components that Peter didn't have the means to make. Um, because he was such a small company, just the, the, what they call the cost of goods was too high. Meaning, um, when you make a game, you physically have to make the game and then you recoup it when you sell it. But you have to make it before you sell it. And so if the game's expensive to make, you know, it just the amount of money it costs to make the game is something that you, um, it, 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 it sort of keeps you from being able to make it because you don't have enough money. Um, now with stuff like Kickstarter, there, there, there's means now to kind of make stuff like that happen where you can get people to pay up front before you make it. But back in the day, that, that just wasn't the case. You had to make it first. And so it just was too expensive of a product to make to be able to, to put it out. Um, and that, So anyway, what happened to that meeting is Peter um, says to, to Richard... Um, Look, here's what I can make. I have access to a printer. It turns out, uh, uh, Cardamundi in Belgium, who was the one that was printing his role-playing stuff. And he goes, and I know that they are able to print cards. So, like, we can print on paper. And we can print on cards. So, if you have some game that can be played with cards, you know, uh, I have some leads on some um, artists that are local to the area. I have access to a printer that can print paper or cards, but that's what I can do, you know. Um, and what he said is, what really what he was looking for, he, he said, was a game you could play in between role-playing sessions. A fast, portable, quick little game that was easy to produce, uh, the cost of goods were low. Uh, and then Richard said, oh, okay, I kind of have an idea. Now, the interesting thing here, by the way, is I often tell this story, um, but one of the things is, I only know the pieces of the story that I know. So, like, one of the neat things about when we get together, like, we... Um, so, let me, let me flash forward a little bit. Um, so, we're doing these happy birthday uh, Grand Prix, and so I get contacted by um, Liz, who's one of our producers up in Brand, and Liz says, hey, um, we're going to shoot the video with you and Richard and Peter. And I said, oh, sounds awesome. Um, like I said, I, I'd seen Richard somewhat uh, recently. I had not seen Peter in quite a while, but it sounded like fun. And I, I you know, um, and the idea basically was we wanted to shoot some videos so we could say, hey, happy birthday, and have a little bit of content that we could show a couple different places. Um, so what had happened was Wizards had just taken over a new section. Um, we keep growing in the building. So there's one final section that we really didn't have control of that the company had moved out, so we bought it um, or rented it. And so we were shooting this new section, part of that I actually hadn't really been in. Um, and anyway, so my call time, I think my call time was at noon, but I came a little bit early just because I the meeting I was going to have fell through. Um, and I, like I said, I hadn't seen uh, Peter in forever and Richard, I, I like seeing Richard. I mean, I, not that I hadn't seen him, but um, so I, I actually am the first one down there. Um, so one of the things that happens whenever I shoot on video is they ask me to bring a lot of wardrobe choices. So for me, that means I bring a whole bunch of magic t-shirts and a whole bunch of colorful flannels that match the t-shirts. And then it's a matter of mixing and matching. Um, a lot of times I'm trying to wear something that's relevant. Usually what we try to do is like, do I have a shirt that's relevant to the thing at hand? 
Sometimes I'm talking about a particular set. Maybe if I happen to have a shirt for that set. Um, or I have a bunch of generic shirts. I have some shirts that have magic logos and some shirts that have the Planeswalker symbol. I have shirts that have just different... I mean, I <coughs> my magic collection of t-shirts is pretty extensive. So anyway, this was old school 25th anniversary. So I bought a lot of old t-shirts in. Um, the problem was most of the really old t-shirts... Um, if we're talking like the early, early days, are black or they're white. Um, I don't think we... I think like the earliest colored t-shirt I got might be like Tempest or something. And we're talking, uh, that came out in 97, I think. Um, so in the early, early years, the first couple of years, most of the t-shirts were, were black. There was a few that were white. Like uh, the original Ice Age shirt and the original pre-release Ice Age shirt were both in white. And then Matt, the original t-shirts that came out in Magic were black. Um, so they... they we went back and forth. In the end, they actually ended up picking up uh, a shirt that was somewhat black, which was uh, my Mirage t-shirt from Mirage. It had a picture on it. Um, and uh, I think I wore... I think I wore my purple... I have a purple... Um, I have a purple... Uh, um, what's the word I want? Uh, flannel. I have a purple flannel that uh, definitely is something that's um, quite, quite colorful. So I'm just realizing now that I need to get gas. So I don't do this often... But I think today I'm getting gas. So one, one of the things, for those, for those that think I'm honest to God in the studio and making all this up, which is actually, there's a, there's a, there's a theory that is true. Uh, it is not. Um, but uh, normally I try not to get gas, but I, I, I uh, realized I was, it was a holiday weekend and I, uh, I, I wasn't thinking about the fact that I wasn't thinking like five days ahead. So anyway, I'm going to get gas and hopefully uh, I will continue my podcast while I get gas and all shall be well. Uh, we shall see. Um, uh, normally, I, I'm just driving, which I can do pretty much by rote, but uh, uh, gas requires a little more energy. So we'll see. I'll, I'll pump some gas. I think this is the third time I've pumped gas, for those keeping track of trivia. I think I've done gas twice before on the show. I, I don't do it very often. Like This is my 500-something show, uh, and it's the third time I've done gas. So anyway, we're stopping to get some gas, um, and I will continue on. So um, I ended up choosing um, to get, or I didn't choose, Liz chose my Mirage shirt and my purple flannel. Um, oh, oh, the other thing that was funny for the day was actually I was there to do two different things. One was to shoot a video, the other was a project that I'll talk about in a second. But I actually had, I had a, I had a full day of, uh, of things to do. Anyway, so I get there first, I, they pick up my clothes, I get dressed, uh, and then Peter shows up. Uh, Peter shows up shortly after. Um, and I've not seen Peter in ages. Um, so Peter, so a little story here about magic. Let's go back to the magic story. So the, the funny thing is um, we are, um, one, one of the things we're doing is we're shooting individual, um, like each of us goes in individually and shoot. They ask us questions. We say happy birthday and stuff. And then the three of us are going to shoot. So what happens is I think, um, by the time we're ready to shoot, Richard shows up last, but he ends up getting shot first because he has to leave the earliest. So we shoot, Richard shoots, then we shoot all of us together so that Richard can go. Then we had a break for lunch in which I had a presentation to do. Uh, and then we uh, shot Peter, and then we shot me. Because um, not only did I have to do my video, but um, there's one other thing I'll talk about at the end that I had to do. Um, but anyway, so some of the story I want to tell you today is actually some stuff I did not know until doing the interview with Peter and Richard. 
Like every time I listen to them tell the story of Madras creation, I learn new facts that I didn't know. Um, so anyways, I'm, I'm going to add in some extra facts that you haven't heard yet, at least for me, because I did not know them until um, we were doing um, this, this uh, the interview stuff. Um, uh, um, okay. Um, what am I going to say? Uh, okay, so what happens is Peter says to Richard, um, okay, we need a game. It, it, the only thing I can make is a game in which you use cards. So Richard goes back, uh, and then Richard has what he thinks is kind of the most, um, the biggest idea that he has had. Um, you know, the, the biggest idea, like, it's sort of like, he talks about it's, it's his, you know, brain explosion moment where he came up with the idea of making a game that was bigger than the box, meaning that, that the game, that each person wasn't using the same components in the game. Uh, and Richard wasn't even sure that it was possible. What he said is, like, if you said we're going to play chess, but people can bring their own pieces, well, why wouldn't you just bring all, you know, one king and all the rest queens? Like, why, what makes a fun game? How can you make a game in which people can build their own game, but the game isn't inherently just broken? And that one of the challenges of magic was trying to figure out how to make that work, how to have that be, be possible, you know. And, um, you know, one of the things that he was saying is um, that he, he didn't even know when he had pitched the idea to Peter whether or not what he was pitching was something that could work. But Peter was excited by the idea, and so Richard went off. So it turns out that um, Richard had made a game, I think he was calling it Five Colors, Richard had a game that was a fancy-based game that kind of had the colors attached. It was a different game. And when Richard was trying to make this work, he realized that the colors might be part of the answer to his thing. That why can't you play all the best cards? Well, maybe all the best cards can't go in the same deck. Um, and so Richard took this other game, the five-color game, and this, this sort of trading card game, which they were separate entities. The, the five-color game was a card game, I believe, but not a trading card game. It had a locked amount of things. It was a traditional card game. And he sort of took those and combined them to make something that was, um, you know, to make something that was uh, a combination thereof. Um, and anyway, the first game he played, I talked about this with a guy named Barry Reich, uh, or Bit, as uh, Richard call, used to call him. Um, and uh, so he uh, tried out the game, and... Richard was kind of pleasantly, surpri- pleasantly surprised um, that it actually worked. It seemed to... Um, so he went back to Peter, and he showed them sort of the, the first prototype. Uh, you know, this is like pre-pre-pre-alpha. You know, this is the early... And um, he showed him... I think the story they were saying is it was in a garage. Um, so what happened was... Peter's family at the time, I think, lived in Oregon and Portland. Um, and so Rich, he was working in, um, uh, he was at the University of Philadelphia, I believe, at the time. So he was living in Pennsylvania, um, but um, he would come out from time to time to see his family. And when he came out, I think, I think what happened is Peter drove down to Portland to see Richard, I think is what happened here. Um, but anyway, the story they tell, and this is a new story, I had not known the story, is that they were in a parking lot and that Richard was showing off his, um, Richard was showing off his, um, 
his game. And this was the first time that Peter had seen it and that Peter was instantly excited by it. Like once Peter got the grasp of what Richard was saying, Peter got it. And he was really excited. And the story that Peter tells is he remembers screaming and running around. You know, he was screaming in the, the, um, this parking lot because he really, like when he had started the game company, like he had some ideas for some role-playing game supplements and stuff. Um, but, you know, one of his dreams was to, to really be a player in, in, in games and, and, and do, do things that were revolutionary. And so Peter saw this and said, oh, this is something exciting. And the thing that also excited Peter was, because Richard had fallen the constraints that Peter laid down, look, this was a card game that R- Peter knew he could print. Um, so anyway, Peter decides they're going to make magic, and they're very excited. Now remember at this point, this is still a teeny tiny company working out of the ba- Peter's basement. Peter's still working at Boeing, you know. Um, and so they were definitely doing something that was pretty thrilling. But the other big thing that people, I, 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 I've not talked a lot about this, but when you listen to Peter and Richard, especially Peter tell the stories is one of the big problems was they kind of knew they had this really cool idea, but they still had to sell it. They had to make it. And so basically what happens is they had to first raise some money. And so Peter, and when I talk about the two people that are most responsible for making magic happen, obviously Richard's responsible. He made the game, but there's a lot of stuff that has to happen between, okay, the game exists, and now we got to make the game. We have to actually raise the money and print. Um, and so a lot of what Peter did was he had to go and sell it. You know, Richard was making it. Peter had to sell it. So what happened was uh, Richard went off, uh, went back to University of Philadelphia. Um, he had a bunch of playtesters, with all the early playtesters, um, the East Coast Place Testers, Skeff Elias, Jim Lynn, Dave Petty, Chris Page, um, the Mirage folk, uh, Bill Rose, Joel Mick, Charlie Catino, uh, uh, Don Felice, uh, Howard Collenberg, Elliot Siegel, um, Lily. Um, then there was Barry. And anyway, all sorts of people that were play tefters, Um And he worked with them. And that, if you've ever seen them, uh, Richard's original playtest cards were maybe two inches high. Um, I think the original version didn't even have pictures, but uh, Scaff helped them make pictures, so the, the second version of them had pictures on them. They were tiny, and they were literally chops of cardboard. Um, they weren't like pre-made cards. They were literally cardboard that was printed on and cut up. And, and like I said, they were like two inches by one inch. They were really tiny. Um, but they made their game, and they tested their game, and... You know, Richard made, along with help from other playtesters, made 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 magic. But the next big part of the story is okay. Peter's on board. Um, so what happened was Peter, through Jesper, because Jesper was the art director, knew Jesper. I think Jesper had attended a, an art school, or at least knew people from an art school. But anyway, there was an art school that Jesper knew people from, uh, and a lot of the early magic artists were artists from that school. And remember, it was so early in those days, the artists were not paid with cash, but paid with stock options because they didn't have the money yet. Um, and that a lot of this early sort of, you know, like no one knew necessarily, like if you're an artist and someone's paying you stock options, you you hope this comes of something. And Peter obviously was driven and excited, but like there was a lot still to happen. Um, and so the story Peter was telling is that... Um, 
So they go, they are managed to print some of the cards and get like a test version of the cards. And they take them to Origins. Origin is a big, um, the uh, Gamma is the Game Manufacturer Association. And Gamma is, um, uh, has a convention every year called Origins. And I think it moves around. I'm not sure if it still moves around. Back in the day, it moved around. And I think it was in, what, what, what did Peter say? Dallas, I think? Um, so Peter flew to Origins with the, like, you know, the first off the line stuff. Because once again, Peter had raised enough money to print it, but he hadn't even raised enough money to get it back through customs. Like, he sort of printed it on the idea that once he had something to show people, he would use that to convince more people. Uh, and he tells this great story um, about how he's showing off the cards at Origins and that somebody from a distributor comes up to him. Um, and the way Peter likes to tell the story is uh, they were down south, and this was a company that was, I think, from um, Albuquerque is where they're based. And a guy comes up, and he, he's, a, he's a tall guy, and he has a... Uh, uh, cowboy hat on and he sits down and demos it and he goes oh I gotta go get I'm making up the names uh, Peter actually knows the names but like I gotta go get Merle and so he goes away and comes back like half an hour later and it's a, a guy even bigger than him with an even bigger uh, um, cowboy hat uh, and he sits down and he plays it and he goes I gotta get Stan and so the two of them go off and, and half an hour later a bigger even bigger guy with an even bigger hat comes and, and he plays it. And he goes, we got to get Wayne. So they leave and half an hour later. So I guess Wayne wasn't quite taller than the last guy, although he had a bigger hat. So he was taller if you call it the hat. And so the biggest guy yet, Wayne comes. And Wayne plays it and says, we got to go out to dinner tonight. So Wayne runs a, a distribution um, company. And at the dinner, basically, Wayne says how he's really excited. He sees the potential in this game. And Peter basically says to him, look, I need to raise the last amount of money so I can get these across the border. Would you be willing to order in advance, pay up front, and I'll, you know, I'll give you a break on it. We'll give you some percentage off or something. Um, and so Wayne made this giant order, and that was enough money to get the cards through customs. Um, anyway, so, um, so Origins means that the, the Origins is a big success because they're finally able to finance the game. Um, and so, uh, then what happens is <coughs> the next big convention is Gen Con and Gen Con is where it's going to be, it's in August of 1993. That is where the game's going to premiere. Um, and so uh, I believe the convention was Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, it was a four day convention. So for those who know, Gen Con is probably the biggest gaming convention in the U.S. Um, I think, um... It is, and it was started by the people who made Dungeons and Dragons. So, um, TSR uh, was the original maker of Dungeons and Dragons, and during the heyday in the seventies, when Dungeons and Dragons was kind of at its peak, or orig originally was at its peak, uh, it's, it's since been doing quite well. Um, it uh, they started a gaming convention that was mostly about role playing, but it ended up becoming a bigger, you know, a, a game convention. Um, and as far as Peter was concerned, this was the Mecca. Peter always loved Gen Con. In fact, Peter later, years later, would buy Gen Con, and now he runs Gen Con. Um, anyway, so what happens is they go, and it's Thursday, and they have a booth, 
And they, I think they doubled the size of, I mean, it still wasn't that big a booth, but they doubled the size of their booth because it's like the premiere of Magic. They fly everybody in the company who's, now, everyone in the company is not a lot of people at that time, by the way, but um, anyway, and so it's the, we're going to, it's going to be, Magic is going to premiere. Uh, Thursday comes, the show opens up, the cards aren't there yet. They're supposed to be shipped directly there. Cards aren't shipped there yet. And then Friday comes, and I think, I think the cards don't come till midday Saturday. Like Thursday, they're not there. Friday, they're not there. And I think Saturday, midday, they come. Or maybe they come, mid- actually, maybe tell the story. I think they come midday Friday. Sorry. Uh, Peter tells the story better because he, he lived it. Um, so it's not there Thursday, not there Friday morning, but Friday, like afternoon, they show up. And there's all these people that have heard about it. They want to purchase it. So they literally bring the, the people with them to help carry the boxes in. And then Friday, a bunch of people buy stuff. And then it calms back down. But then that night, everybody who bought it is playing all night and everything. So the next day, them and all their friends come to buy stuff. And then um, by, by uh, Saturday night, that's all that's going on at night. Like anywhere you look, people are playing. It's just taking over the convention. So Sunday comes and they just buy them out of everything else they own. Um, and Peter says, he goes that, you know, he goes home from Gen Con and quits his job. He's like, I'm a game designer, you know, I'm, I run a game company and he quits his bowling job and he says, this is going to, you know, this is going to put us on the map. Um, so anyway, let's flash forward. So, um, so Peter, Peter was the CEO of Wizards from the time I first got there um, up until when, uh, the company gets sold to Hasbro and Peter stuck around for a little bit, but it was clear that, um, what Peter, how Peter liked to run the company and how Hasbro won the company to run was not exactly synced. And so, um, about a year or so after uh, the company gets purchased, Peter, Peter moves on. Peter decides he's, he's going to go elsewhere. Um, uh, I mean, Peter did really, really well with the sale. Like I said, he went on to buy Gen Con and it's done a lot of other cool other things. Um, but, uh, Oh, so my, my first memory of meeting Peter, by the way, real quickly, to talk about meeting these people, is um, I had been flown up to do various projects. I was freelancing, and um, I was brought up for, I don't forget what it was. I, I got brought up to the offices a couple of times. The first time I got brought up, uh, they were all away on a, um, a weekend away. They were doing like a, uh, a company retreat or something. Um, they went like skiing or something, something cool. Uh, but anyway, the second time I came up, I finally got introduced to Peter. Um, and Peter is a really, um, just a happy guy. Like, I mean, a part of it is, I think Peter loved games and like his dream, like he, he, you know, spent years working at Boeing. Uh, I think he was an engineer, I think. Um, but anyway, his true love was games. And finally, like, not only was he in charge of a game company, but he's in charge of a game company that kind of exploded and was becoming one of the most successful game companies in, you know, in the country. And Peter was just, it was his dream come true. And so what I always remember, Peter's just always being excited. You know, there's a lot going on. Uh, I mean, Peter had never been a CEO before. There were a lot of challenges Peter was facing. But Peter was excited and Peter was happy. And um, I remember... Um, I came to work. I met Peter for the first time when I came up. I think Catherine introduced us to him. Um, and at the time, I think I was... People knew me as the puzzle guy. So I think the first time I met him, um, whenever I would meet somebody, it was like, oh, it's the puzzle guy. 
And he goes, oh, oh, yeah, the puzzle guy. And people like the puzzles. And, um, and so my first meeting with him was, I think he was in the middle of doing something else, so it was a very brief introduction. Um, the story my, my mom always tells uh, about meeting Peter is, I came up in October of 1995 uh, to work for Wizards, which was a big deal. Like, I was going to live in L.A. and do the L.A. thing, and I decided I was going to change careers and move up here. And then in December, there's this giant layoff we call Black Wednesday, where they la- basically laid off all the role-playing because it was clear that um, Magic obviously was doing real well for us, but uh, we were losing a lot of money in the role-playing, and, and they decided to sort of condense things and that... Um, for the time being, they had to get rid of the role-playing, which was a giant hit to Peter. Peter loved role-playing. Um, but anyway, my mom was visiting shortly after that happened, and my mom was concerned because, like, I had just, you know, moved everything to move up here, and my mom was like, oh, they just had major layoffs. Is this company going under? Um, and so she goes up to Peter and says, you know, should my son worry about his job, <laughs> which is... A very, a very mom thing to do, to go up to your son's boss and say, hey, should he be worrying about his job? Uh, and Peter's response to my mom was, oh, no way. Mark does way too much work. We couldn't replace Mark. That, that was his response. Um, but anyway, um, so, oh, Peter, by the way, also, the response, Peter was the one that got, that um, was responsible for buying a Dungeon Dragons. He learned that, um, TSR, the company that had Dungeons Dragons, was having lots of problems, and I don't know the details, but basically they were in position to sell Dungeons Dragons. And like I said, Peter was a role-playing. I mean, Dungeons Dragons was as dear to his, as dear to his heart as anything. I mean, it was the the granddaddy of role-playing games, the king of role-playing games, and they had fallen on hard times. And Peter realized that he had the opportunity to not only sort of purchase, you know, Dungeons Dragons, but, but bring it back. I've really sort of, you know, here was a game on the, on the verge, a classic game on the verge of not existing anymore, and Peter had a chance to save the game, and probably the happiest, I mean, there's a lot of happy moments in Peter's life, running around the, the parking lot and all sorts of things, you know, selling up magic at Gen Con, all sorts of things that were really cool. Um, but I think the thing that actually made him happiest was buying, buying Dungeons Dragons. That made him super, super happy. Anyway, we flash forward. Okay, so back back to our... So, um, Peter comes in. I picked up my wardrobe. And Peter... Uh, I think he had brought... It. Oh, Peter had brought, by the way... Peter had brought a jacket. So, when I first came to work for Wizards, um, there were three t-shirts that they sold the public. Uh, three magic t-shirts. One had a... Uh, um, Vesuvian doppelganger on back. That's the first one I ever bought. Second one had a nightmare on back, and third one had Armageddon clock. Those were the. Uh, there also was a Jihad shirt, by the way, which is another game they made uh, later becoming Vampire: The Eternal Struggle. But those were the three magic shirts. But there was a secret fourth magic shirt that had a Herloon Minotaur on back. That was only for employees. You couldn't buy it. You had to be an employee. Um, and at one point, they made jean jackets, and the Herloon Minotaur was kind of the unofficial spokesperson of the company. So they made these jean jackets that put Herloon Minotaur on the back. Some of them were blue, and some of them were black. So Peter, I think, had lost his original one, but went back and bought one. Uh, and so he wore it to the event, his blue... If you see him in the videos, he's wearing it. It's a blue denim. I heard he was bringing his, so I brought mine. Um, so mine's black um, from back then. In fact, I have one, and Laura, my wife, also had one because she worked in the company. Um, I also have... We later made one that has a nightmare on back. I have that one, too. Um, I, I, I have not... Get, unlike other people, I don't get rid of my old clothes unless they are completely falling apart. So I have a large collection of old 
magic uh, clothing memorabilia. Anyway, so I brought my jacket. So I think um, in the video, if you see it, he is wearing his. I put mine on for one piece of the video. So if you see a video with both of us wearing our jackets, I put it on at one point. So anyway, Richard actually showed up last, um, but he ended up going up first. So there was a makeup person who so I got put in makeup. So Richard, so Richard went and shot his part first, uh, and then I got a chance to talk with Peter, who, I, like I said, I haven't seen Peter in forever. So we gotta, we gotta catch up. I know Peter's, um, he's really got into movie making, so he's doing a lot of, of, of shooting right now. I think he went back to school and studied that. Also, Gen Con's still doing awesome stuff, and we talked about that. Uh, and then I filled him in on magic. Um, well, he's a big gamer, um, you know, he, he, he keeps a tabs on magic, but he's not, I obviously am a little more, a little more interconnected. So I, I just tell him a lot of stories about things magic's up to and, you know, just telling him about cool stories about magic. And he was sharing me things about Gen Con, just stuff he'd been up to. And also, um, talked about his dad or someone I knew back in the day. And, um, anyway, we, we shared a bunch of stories. Um, and then it was time for all three of us. So the next thing we did is all three of us shot. So we all came in. Um, and then was probably my favorite part of, of the day is they asked us questions um, and then we answered them. And really the first part of the questions were about the history of magic. So uh, basically it was, I was in the middle um, and Peter was on my left, I think, and Richard was on my right. And they would ask questions about early magic, about the creative magic. And then I would look to my left and Peter would tell the story. And they looked to the right and Richard would tell the story. And I knew some of the stories they had told, but I did not know all the stories, some of the which I told you today. So, like, I'm just hearing stories straight from Richard and Peter. Awesome. I mean, like, just to see it on video would be awesome, but I'm literally standing in between them. Um, and, and at some point, I, I talk, tell my, my story is more, uh, I was kind of like, I also got started the game at Alpha, but, I mean, I'm more from the, like, I was a player. Like, my story, in some ways, is not the story of the people making the game as much as someone enjoying the game. And I got in really early. Um, and I told a little bit about sort of what magic was like in the early days when, like, you had to stand in line to, to buy product. You couldn't just go to the store and buy it. You had to know what day it was coming in, get there early, stand in line, and hope by the time that you got up in front of the line, they still had stuff for you to buy. Um, and I talked about, you know, just... Like, I, uh, I bought some Alpha. I, I, I think I've told this story. But I, I, I was working at a game store part-time at the time. People came in. They asked about the game. And so then when I went to San Diego Comic-Con that summer, uh, they were sold out of the game, but I managed to see it for the first time. And then a week or two later, or a couple weeks later, at, there's a, there was a, um, a uh, game convention in Los Angeles. I think it was called Orcon, but there were three of them. And one of them was Orcon. There's three of them during the course of the year, but it was the one at the end of the summer. And I was, they, they had Alpha, and I bought some Alpha. I bought a starter and three boosters. Uh, and then I realized after that that I wanted more, and it was all sold out. So I ended up waiting. I found a store that got beta in, and then I bought two boxes of starters and two boxes of boosters. Not because I thought I was going to open it all, but because I wanted people to play with, and I knew that if I didn't have the product, that I wouldn't have anybody to play with. So I, I started selling it to my friends that I thought would enjoy it. Now, I, I, interesting, the story goes, I later went back and bought all the stuff back from my friends because none of them really started playing it, and I, I wanted the cards, so I didn't end up buying it back for them. Um, but anyway, um, so I told my story from sort of my end of it, and we, we shared a bunch of stories. In, in some ways, if you see me on the video, I started um, acting kind of like interviewer, 
just because most of the stories they were telling was more their stories than my stories. Um, but I knew enough of the stories already that I could jump in and make sure they hit points. Um, so anyway, I don't know what part of the videos are going to show at the, at the thing. We shot actually for maybe half an hour. So, and it's possible some of that footage that doesn't get used for the happy birthday stuff we use later. But anyway, there's awesome footage of, uh, of me and Richard and Peter. Um, so anyway, we then um, shared a bunch of stories and then we broke. Then was lunch. So my lunchtime, the interesting thing was I had done the vision design for Cricket, uh, an awesome set that I can't tell you anything about that one day I will and it's very exciting. But I had to do, when vision hands off to set design, I do a presentation of the magic meeting where I and the lead uh, creative person, which was Doug Byer in this case, do a shared um, thing where we sort of talk about where the set's at, what vision did, what the vision for the set is, where the story's at, you know, kind of just like um, laying out everything we did in vision so that we can talk about where the set is at so people have a sense going into set design. Usually it happens uh, anywhere from three to four weeks after the handoff. So set design usually is in motion, um, but set design happens for like nine to 12 months. Um, so it, it's early, early in set design. Uh, and anyway, usually I get art from, um, I get concept art and stuff that we, whatever we have lying around. Um, Sam Burley was the art director for this and he had done a lot of advance, more so than normal. So I actually had a decent amount of art. Um, sometimes what we use is we use art that are like inspirational things that aren't stuff that we made but kind of inspired it. Uh, this actually had a lot of original art that we had done because uh, we had done much early concepting. So anyway, I gave my presentation. My, my lunch break was me giving a presentation uh, with, with, with uh, Doug. Uh, it ended up actually taking the entire lunch break. Uh, so when I got back, I, th I think actually I got back just in time to quickly eat my lunch. I think I, got, I had like 10 minutes. Um, oh, no, no, no. When I got back, they were shooting, they were shooting Peter. That's right. I got back, they were shooting Peter because um, I was last. Um, and so Peter did his segment where they talked about his stuff. Then it was my turn. They refreshed my makeup. And then I went in and I talked all about, um, they asked me questions and I shared a bunch of stories. Uh, some of the stories are stuff you guys have heard. Some, a few things were new things. Um, but they, they asked me a bunch of stories and I, I told about different things. And, um, like I said, uh, most of the stories are probably stuff. If you, if you guys have listened to all the stuff I've done, all my podcasts and listen to my, um, their story, I think probably about 80% of the stories I told before. I, I, I had a few new stories based on some questions they asked. But anyway, um, I shot that. Okay, now comes the uh, more esoteric part of the day. Um, once that was done, I then had to pick a, they picked a different outfit. So um, the Japan offices had come to the brand team and, with an idea. They wanted to make some standees of me to put at the birthday Grand Prix in Japan, or the birthday Grand Prix in Japan. Um, and the idea was they had technology where they could put a voice chip. And so when you walked up to it, you would push a button and then I would say something. So in order to do that, first they came to me and they said, is it okay if they have standees of you? Because they did ask my permission because, um, and I said, oh sure, that sounds, sounds, sounds you know, a little upbeat, but fun. Um, I've never been made into a standee before. Um, the one thing I did ask is I said, when it's all said and done, can I have one of the standees? Because I think it's awesome to have a standee of me, just because how many people have standees of themselves? Not a lot. Um, um, so the first thing we did is the same studio that shot the video, they had to redress it. I, I had to get changed because they wanted a different outfit. Um, in this outfit I was wearing, uh, they wanted me to wear the Planeswalker symbol just to be more up to date and not, like the Mirage, I was trying to be like old school because we were talking old school stuff. Uh, but now we're a little more uh, modern, so we changed around. Um, I think I, I, I changed my flannel, and so I, I changed something different. 
um, different shirt, different flannel. Um, and then they had to shoot me uh, against a white background because in order to do it, they needed to cut me out. So they needed to get, so they changed the room into a, a white backdrop. Uh, it was black. It was a black backdrop for shooting the videos because it makes us pop. Um, and, and then they basically had me make eight thousand poses. Do this because no one knew exactly quite how they wanted the standees to look. So what they did was they just asked me to do eight million poses, and like the idea was, well, we shot Mark doing every possible pose. Um, now remember, they're making. I think they're making five. I think they're going to make five standees, and I think each standee was going to be a different pose. So that. Um, and then, oh, once they decided to make standees for Japan, I think they decided to make one for Vegas. So I'm going to Las Vegas. It's the one birthday Grand Prix I'm going to. Um, so if, if you are planning to go to one of the birthday Grand Prix and you want to meet me, I am going to the Las Vegas Grand Prix. Now, the, the Grand Prix, I think, is Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, my daughter, Rachel, graduates high school on Thursday. And then my uh, younger children, Adam and Sarah, graduate from middle school on Friday. So Thursday and Friday, I'm going to graduation. But Saturday and Sunday, I will be, I will be there. Uh, and there, there are, I know there's a question mark plan and there's some other panel stuff. And I'm sure I'll be signing and uh, I'm sure I'll be doing all sorts of stuff. So anyway, uh, if you're planning to go to Birthday Grand Prix and me being there has any sway, I will be going, I will be in Las Vegas. Um, I bring that up, by the way, because I think the plan is since they were going to make standees, they thought it was funny to make one for Vegas. So I think Vegas only gets one standee. But I believe if you want to see a standee of me, and, and me too, um, but maybe the standee is more exciting, you get to go to Vegas and you can see a standee of me, as long as me. You might even see me standing next to my standee. I predict I'm going to take a lot of pictures of me and my standee. I'm just a, a, a bold plan. Um, anyway, uh, so in order to, do, to make all the standees, I think there's six, stand, I think there's six getting made. Uh, we had to take pictures. So I took a whole bunch of pictures. And then there's sound. So for the Japanese, the Japanese wanted a combination of me talking Japanese and me talking English. So we had one of our translators. Uh, they made a bunch of, of things they wanted me to say, and I, I got to okay them. Um, and so I then, um, they translated into Japanese, and then I, uh, we went up to the, so we, uh, for the audio part, we went up to the audio studio so I could be mic'd and everything. And so what happened is she would say, the, the, um, the translator would say the word in Japanese, each word one by one, then I would repeat it, and then they, they would string them together. We tried having me do a whole bunch of once, but it was, it was crisper and clear. If she said the word, and I just directly copied the word. Because when she said the whole sentence, and then I copied the whole sentence, like the beginning was good, and it would drift off a little bit. But if I, I could just listen to one thing exactly and repeat it, I was much better at that. Um, so anyway, uh, they then translated all my sentences, uh, all the Japanese stuff. And then I did a bunch of sentences in English. So I did stuff like, uh, I'm pulling on my driveway. You all know what that means. Um, and I did, uh, you know, restrictions, read creativity. And I, I did a bunch of different things um, in English. So I don't know. I don't know with the standees whether I say one thing per standee or whether I get to say a bunch of things per standee. Like it rotates. I have no idea. But I recorded, I recorded a lot of things. I gave them a lot. Of, I took a lot of pictures. I recorded a lot of sounds. Um, so anyway, for those that, um, for those that, uh, anyway. Uh, I, I don't know quite when you push the button what you will hear. I recorded a lot of stuff. So I, I did all that. Um, and then, because my day wasn't long enough, um, if you guys remember I did a, I did a whole podcast on um, shooting the videos, the how-to videos that I did with Gabby Sparks. 
Um, well, it turns out that uh, they're, they're planning to use those videos over many seasons. And so whenever they change the cards that are in them, they come to me to have doing VO so that I, could, I can introduce the new cards. So basically every three months they need me to come in the studio and just go, it's this card, it's that card. And, and I, literally in, in that voice for my um, uh, one of the videos, I'm, I'm screaming like it's a wrestling match. Um, anyway, if you haven't seen those, I think all the videos are up now. If you haven't seen the videos with me and Gabby. Um, but anyway, I shot that. And then that was the end of my day. I turned out, by the way, I missed somebody had uh, uh, was trying to get us to make a planeswalker out of a character that they, I don't even remember who the character was, um, but they made an ice cream cake uh, and they sent an ice cream cake uh, and on the cake it said, please make this character. Anyway, I missed the ice cream cake. So um, R&D had an ice cream cake. Uh, although I, I tend not to eat sweets during the week, so I probably couldn't eat it anyway. But um, anyway, it was, uh, it was a full day. Uh, I disappeared in the morning, came back in the evening. I was like, where'd you go? I'm like, I was. And then in the middle, in my lunch, I, I did my presentation. Um, but anyway, I hope this gives you, a, like I said, this was sort of a hodgepodgey podcast, sort of built around um, me spending the day. But hopefully I just did some background. Um, like I said, um, I think most people know Richard Garfield is. Um, I mean, today in some ways, we're talking a little bit more about Peter than Richard because I've talked more about Richard. Um, but... Uh, one of these days, I'll probably do a full podcast just on Richard. Um, I think Richard is probably worthy of an entire podcast. But uh, like I said, it was it was fun. I always like seeing Richard. I, I just uh, I've seen Richard more recently than I've seen Peter. So seeing Peter was the, today was a little bit more about Peter just because I I haven't talked as much about Peter where I've talked some about Richard. Um, and I'm almost to work. I think my thought today was maybe to tell more stories about Richard, but just in the nature of how this turned out, um, I do promise at some point I will do a, a lengthier podcast about Richard. Um, the, the one thing, by the way, that was interesting listening to Richard talk that I did not realize that the one part of the story that got added today is, um, it's very interesting in that it's once something is said and done, it's very easy to go. Of course you made it. Um, but it's, it's interesting to hear Richard talk about the doubt he had when he was making it and that he had this really crazy idea, but like, you don't know, like the, the, the interesting thing about me listening to Richard talk about it was that um, he came up with this really crazy idea that was exciting to him and revolutionary from a game design standpoint. Um, but it's interesting how, how unsure Richard was of it. Um, that, that's the part that I, I really, it really hammered home when Richard was telling his story about making the game, about how, you know, like Peter kind of said, here's the parameters of what I can do, and in, like restriction free creativity, like inspired Richard to make something that he might not have made otherwise. Um, and obviously, like there was like I, I think that in my mind, listening to Richard talk, like once he got to cards, once he was like I'm making a card game, because I, I I think what happened is um, Peter knew that um, that um, Card of Monday could make trading cards because they made trading cards. And I think he might have even said something like, oh, I know Card of Money can make cards. They make trading cards. That might have inspired Richard to go, oh, a trading card game. And the idea of a trading card game implied in trading cards is that they're randomized. So it's kind of funny. Like, I think the thing that might have led to Richard's sort of idea was just this, like, the happenstance of circumstance where he came to pitch a game he, they couldn't make the game that he pitched, but in hearing what could be made, 
like set this challenge in motion where it's like, well, here's the parameters by which we could work. And it was those parameters that made Richard realize, you know, that they made him come up with the idea for magic, the, the, the trading card game. So it is, it is uh, for those that believe in serendipity, um, that like it was just the right people in the right place at the right time. And that the reason when I say, you know, the, the game wouldn't exist if not for Peter is in many ways it is sort of the, it's the coming together of Richard and Peter at that one moment with that one, that sort of spurred, like magic got born in the moment where Peter said, I can't do this, but I could do that, which inspired Richard to say, wait a minute, could we do that? And go, bam, and then got him off to do it. So it is kind of neat that um, magic is this kind of thing that got created out of sort of filling the goal of an idea of going, here's this thing. Can we make this thing? And going, yeah, I think we can. So anyway, that is the story. I had a lot of fun. If you, if you can go, there's four or five Grand Prix all around the world. There's one in Japan. There's one in Brazil, I think. I think there's two in the U.S. Anyway, there's a bunch. Uh, there's one in Europe, I believe. I think there's five. Anyway, they're, they're all around the world. If you have a chance to go to a Grand Prix, uh, you will get to see. I'll be at the Las Vegas. All the rest, there'll be video. There are Wizards people going to all of them. Not me, but there are Wizards people going to all of them. Um, in fact, there may even be R&D people going to all of them. So anyway, if you have a chance to go to the birthday, there's a lot of fun stuff going on. I know there's some fun stuff planned. You might see a video with me and Richard and Peter. A little heads up. And uh, But anyway, that's what happened. That, that was the story. So I hope you guys enjoyed uh, today's tale. And uh, I'll see you guys next time. So I'm now parked. So we all know what that means. This is the end of my drive to work. Instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. I'll see you guys next time. Bye-bye.